Well, this morning we are in our third installment in our Ask series, where we ask people on Facebook to submit to us any question that they would like to ask Christians. So we put it to them this way, what question would you like to ask Christians? And we had several. The one that we got, that we have this morning, is one that when people saw it, they said, well, of course, that's the question that they would want to ask Christians. Before, though, I show you the question, I just want to say that our approach here is a little different than normal. Normally, normally we would go kind of straight to the Scriptures, and already I would have told you to turn in your Bibles somewhere. And then we would find out what the Scripture says to the, the questions that we have in real life. This week, on the other hand, we're starting with the questions from real life and going to the Scriptures. So it's almost the reverse angle. And the reason I feel like I need to tell you that is because someone came to visit the church last week and on the way out, they, they were referred by a friend of mine to come. And on the way out, they stopped me at the door and said, is that the way you normally do things? And I said, what do you mean? Well, you know, he's just, do you normally go through the Bible or do you normally just do what you did today? I said, well, normally you go through the Bible. And she said, and the, my friend's name was Trevor. She said, well, oh, that's good. So I didn't think Trevor would send us to a weird church. <laughs> so however weird you think today is, I'm sorry. It's going to be weird for a couple more weeks and then we'll be a little more normal. But that's okay. Because I think it has to go both ways. We can't just you know, ignore the Bible and we can't just, you know, ignore real life. And we have to find ways to bridge in both directions. And that's what we're doing today. Well, the question is this. Why are you afraid to love someone who lives or thinks differently than you? Now, we shortened the question as we advertised it, but this is the, this is the one as we received it. Why are you afraid to love someone who lives or thinks differently than you? Now, it wouldn't surprise me too much if uh, you process this question in a way that says, well, this question is for someone different than me. This is for somebody else because I don't have this problem. Okay? Well, I think that you might think that because... I would like to think that about myself too. But I, uh, I'm a dad and I tell the same stories all the time, over and over. And I was, telling, I was telling last week why or how we ended up in West Lynn. So I, I love to tell the story about how we ended up in West Lynn because uh, for me it's just a great gift to the Lord that we ended up here at this church and in West Lynn. And so I was telling somebody that, we came out from Montana to go to seminary and had virtually no money and said, how in the world can we afford to live and go to seminary? And the person who gave us counsel said, well, why don't you try and find a way to live inexpensively? Like, maybe you should send out, this is going to date me here, but I'm sorry, three by five cards to churches in Portland. And maybe they can put them on their bulletin board. And on the 3 by 5 card, you could say, seminary student will work for rent. And just see what happens. So we did. We went to the Montana State Library, got the yellow pages, wrote down 45 different addresses, 
and sent three by five cards to 45 different churches and um, to see what would happen. Well, we got a we got two or three opportunities to stay to give 24 hour care to people, you know, to grandparents or parents who needed, you know, in home care. We had uh, two or three opportunities to manage apartment complexes. In fact, that looked like the best opportunity that we had. So we put money down sight unseen on the place out in Gresham where we would be the, the apartment managers. And the Tuesday before we left Montana, this woman from Westland called and said, um, uh, you know, my, my kids are in high school and uh, maybe you can live in my basement and clean my house when I go back to work. And um, we can make something like that work. And I said, well, first, my first thought was, if those of you who have lived in the Midwest know that basements are underground and you have these little windows at the top. And I thought, I don't want to live underground for three years. But I'll take your number, I told her. <laughs> so I took her number and we got to Gresham in the middle of the night and you know, threw sleeping bags on the floor and slept and woke up and looked out the window the next morning and I looked at the people who were milling about the parking lot and I looked at Marcia and my mom and I looked back and I said, you know, we don't have people like this in Montana. Where's the number for the woman from West Lynn? And I called her and she, you know, uh, said, give me a couple hours to clean the place. Long story short, we moved up the hill just across the street from where Jeff and Carol Carlson live now, if you know Jeff and Carol. And the closest church to that house is this one. We came here on the first Sunday that we were in town and uh, have been here ever since. And that's how we got it. We paid $75 a month rent, too. That's important. So, I mean, it was just a great blessing. But I was telling a story and I just love to tell a story because... It, you know, God's direction was so clear to us, but I was telling you last week and Marcia turned to me and she said, that story that you told about moving to West Lynn, she said, it, it strikes me differently than it used to. Because you, you said that there were these people outside that you didn't really want to interact with. And I said, well, yeah, you've got a point there. It was really my own, my own interaction with this very question that got me here. Isn't that awful? I don't know if I can say it that way. Isn't that good? It's awful. The reality is that all of us, I think, struggle with this at some level. Why are you afraid to love someone who lives or thinks differently than you do. Because the, the, the reality is, at a personal level, everybody, 100% of the other people, live or think differently than me. Somewhere on this spectrum. Some are very similar to me. Some are very different from me. But somewhere everyone else is on this spectrum, which means they're different from me. And loving them is going to be harder than loving myself. Okay, that's not rocket science. But the reality is, you have to recognize that. And that loving them is going to be a challenge. But I think this is a good question. I mean, it's a good question for me personally because, as I have already admitted, that I've struggled 
with this. And thankfully, that was half a lifetime ago. And the Lord has been at work in our lives since then. But nonetheless, it's still not easy. But the reality is, this is a bigger question than just my own personal problem in a parking lot in Gresham. This is a bigger question than that because we have a reputation as Christians, or shall I say, as Christians who believe the Bible, or evangelical Christians, whatever descriptor you want, we have a reputation for not loving people. And so this is a good question because it's justified. People have a right to ask this question because we have proven otherwise, unfortunately. Before you go too far in explaining why it's not your problem and somebody else's problem, let me just say it's all of our problem because we have a we have a situation in which everybody shouts at everybody about everything. Especially things you, that you disagree about. And especially if you don't have relationships with them. Especially if it's political. And some of it is, for us, the identification of the evangelical church with a political ideology that is misunderstood and apparently hate-filled makes this question a good one. You see, one of the things that happens is that there are those who speak as though they represented the church. They are, so on the, on the front of one magazine, the voice of the evangelical church. And what happens when they speak, this particular voice especially, they say our world is going to hell in a handbasket and we need to fix it. We need to change those people. And guess what? They claim to speak for us. And the people that think they need to be changed or are told they need to be changed hear them speak for us. And guess what? We're spoken for. If we don't actually love people, they would understand otherwise just because of the noise around us. You have to know that. The other thing you have to know about this question is that you're going to engage someone who believes or thinks or acts differently than you do Okay, they are probably going to assume you're not going to love them. Even if you do. Which means, you're going to have to somehow communicate and somehow signal that you do love them. So this is your question. Because you appear... Afraid, even if you're not. You appear afraid to love someone who lives and thinks differently than you do. And that is one thing that 
I just gonna, I've been talking about this with other people in other contexts, but I just want to share it with you because it's very practical and I think it's, it'll be helpful to you. Is that we all send off signals. We may say we want to communicate something, but we send off signals ahead of time. And some of those signals are broader, bigger, evangelical signals about what we stand for and what we believe in. And those signals say condemnation. When we may want to communicate something else. And so I just want to suggest to you that you need to be signaling in every way you can that you love people. And that you want and that you're not afraid to love them. Because it's not just the signals, the actual love, but both things need to happen because they're getting plenty of signals otherwise. And the news is all too happy to show some kind of a rally where there are purported Christians representing you and me standing with signs that says God hates you or you're on your way to hell. And that is not okay. We must signal otherwise. And we must not be afraid to love people who are different from us. Now, why would you be afraid? I don't know if you've thought about that. What is it that causes people to be afraid here? Are you, some people are afraid they'll be rejected. Some people are afraid that somehow the, the people whose opinions matter to them will think less of them if they love people different than them. Somehow people think that somehow that maybe, maybe sin is contagious. It's going to somehow rub off. You know what? Maybe we need to think twice about that. I think that there's there are reasons... Other reasons too. People are afraid to love because because it'll cost in time or money or attention or energy. They say, "I don't have it to spend." Maybe you need, we need to reprioritize and figure out how we spend our time if we don't have that to spend. Other people, I think, are afraid to love because they can't deal with. The pain. And the reality is that we all have our own pain. We all have our own issues and brokenness and places where we're not right. And so, when we, when we think about that, we can hardly bear our own. And then we think about borrowing somebody else's, which that's what it means to love somebody, isn't it? You borrow their pain. You borrow their joy, but you borrow their pain. And we think, I don't know that I have that. I can't do that. And we're afraid to enter in. And I want to suggest to you that that's not okay to be afraid. Because we already read this verse a moment ago. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment or condemnation. 
And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. It's interesting that when John writes this letter, he recognizes the question we're answering this morning. That fear will stop you from loving people. And he says, guess what? There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because it doesn't have to do with condemnation. It has to do with love. And then, underneath it all, we love because He first loved us. We love because He first loved us. So as you think about that, you're thinking about our question, you're thinking about your own level of pain or brokenness, I want you to recognize that when Jesus loved you, Jesus accepted you and your pain and your brokenness. And that was, that was the bargain that He got when He loved you. That's, what's, that's, what we, that's what we talk about all the time. Maybe not in those terms, but when we're talking about the cross of Jesus and the beauty of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, what we must understand is that Jesus took our pain. That's what's beautiful about it. He took our brokenness. And He didn't just do it for me. My own brokenness is enough. But He did it for you and you and you and you and you. All of us. And a lot more. All at one time. The way that you enter in, the way that you enter into someone's life and love them, is by bearing the pain. And I say that because that's how Jesus loved me. And that's how Jesus loved you. And so we love because He first loved us. I mean, you can look at that in a couple different ways. My hope and prayer, and the reason that I talk to you about the love of God every week, is that you are enabled to love because you have been loved. The pain that you normally would be dealing with is pain that Jesus has taken. And so your burden, I trust, is lighter. And you can bear someone else's. So you love because He first loved you. But you can also understand that sentence in another way to say that you must love Because He first loved you. That your love comes and is required because you, yourself, required Him to love you. And so we love because He first loved us. And so yeah, there are reasons for fear in love, but I also want to say that Love conquers fear. And what God has done for you is significant enough that you can in turn love someone who is different from you.
you think about that question, why are you afraid to love someone who thinks and acts differently than you? I mean, I want you to recognize that this is important to Jesus. It's so important that when um, he was in a conversation about what is the most important thing, okay, uh, he asked he asked a lawyer a question about the law, and the lawyer says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind. And your neighbor is yourself. Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Okay. So, you might say, okay, how important is this? This is one of the two most important things. You must love your neighbor as yourself and you must love the Lord your God. Both of those things, okay? It ranks in the top two things important in this entire world, okay? Not to overstate it. Do these and you will live. But, he says, perhaps, perhaps he's speaking for some of us, right? Desiring to justify himself, knowing that there's a little problem with me loving my neighbor. He said, and who is my neighbor? Like if I don't know who this neighbor is or something, maybe I'll be off the hook. So Jesus replied. He said, there's a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, uh a priest was going down that road. And we're thinking, A priest. Perfect. Oh, thankfully. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite. Oh, the priest didn't do it. Surely a Levite. Well, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But, a Samaritan... Now, Samaritan, you need to know a Samar- who a Samaritan is. Okay, I mean, Samaritan is that person who is different from you. Samaritan, Samaritans were, you know, at the bottom of the rung, in the opinion, especially of the Levites and the priests, of the people who were religious at the time. They were, they were not in that category. If there is an other category, they had a picture of a Samaritan by it. Okay? And as he journeyed, he came to the place. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and walked the rest of the way. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and saying, take care of him. Whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, well, the man who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise.
Now, I imagine that Jesus did not just intend that one lawyer somewhere in history went and did likewise. I suspect that Jesus had in mind that everybody for whom those two things, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, are the most important things, would go and do likewise. And what did he do? He did really only a couple things. He had compassion. Okay? He had emotions that fit the circumstance. Or we might say he had empathy. And he did what was required to love the person. He didn't stand aloof. He engaged him. And he bound up his wounds and he gave him what medicine he had. Gave him a place to stay. He was generous with him. And he did what the person needed. That's what he did. That's what it meant to love your neighbor as yourself. And so I think that Jesus had in mind for you and for me that we would, in fact, look for people who are different from us. And then we would show them compassion. And then we would love people who think and act differently than us. I want to suggest to you that you can find people like that everywhere. And that practically, practically you can engage them and invest in their lives and share their walk in this world and their pain and their joy And that's what Jesus has in mind by loving your neighbor as yourself. But it's one thing for Jesus to say it, right? To teach it. Like, Let me tell you a story, boys and girls. Sunday school. You can use this in Sunday school anytime you want. I'm sure Jesus is thinking about that, right? They're going to make little Sunday school posters of this story. This is a good story. He probably wasn't thinking that at all. He probably was thinking, you know, how can I illustrate the most important thing people can do? But more than that, he didn't just tell a story to illustrate that. Jesus lived that way. I mean, we have all kinds of uh, illustrations from Jesus' life. John chapter 3. Some of you are familiar with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, and whoever believes in Him should not perish, but has everlasting life. You want everlasting life? You should believe in Jesus. Okay, this is the center what it means to believe the good news. But you need to know that that came from somewhere. It came from a conversation with a man named Nicodemus who was so other, so different from Jesus, he had to sneak in at night to talk to Jesus. And Jesus wanted to explain to him that God so loved him that He gave His only Son and He gave eternal life. Then in the next chapter of John, Jesus is on a journey. And He sits down at a well and He's thirsty. And a woman comes at an odd time. And Jesus asks her for a drink. But He wasn't just any woman. She was a Samaritan woman. I've already told you how bad that is, right? how other and different that would make her. But it wasn't just that she was a Samaritan woman. 
She was a Samaritan woman who had already had five husbands. The person she was with now wasn't even her husband. Probably not the kind of person you'd think Jesus ought to hang out with. But there He is, talking with her, asking her questions, entering into her pain, and offering her living water so her soul would never be thirsty again. Or another another, uh, episode in Jesus' life, uh, or episodes in Jesus' life referred to over and over uh, are His calling of Matthew. Matthew wrote the first Gospel there in your New Testament. He was a tax collector. He had a a, a colleague named Zacchaeus, who you know from Sunday school as a wee little man. And a wee little man was he, right? They were both tax collectors. It wasn't wasn't their stature that was issued. What was issued was that they were tax collectors, which if you were going going to call somebody a name, you'd either call them a Samaritan or a tax collector. Right? I mean, that was... They, that was as bad as it gets. And Jesus met Matthew and he, and he called him and said, follow me. And Matthew did. And the very next thing we see is Jesus at a dinner at Matthew's house with tax collectors and sinners. And the same thing with Zacchaeus. He's up in the tree and says, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. That's not what the Scripture reads, but right? that's what the Sunday school song says. Same, same thing, though. And he went to Zacchaeus' house. And there were tax collectors and sinners. And the thing that people had on Jesus, okay, whatever fear to love someone is different, right? Their thing they had on Jesus was he eats with tax collectors and sinners. Did you know that? Do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Do you eat with people who think and act differently than you? Because really, one of the things that we have from Jesus is that as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And what Jesus, what Jesus does is He sends you out to eat with people who think and act differently than you. And when you do, you'll enter into their joys and their pain and you'll love them. You know, we just finished the, studying the book of Romans. And one of the things that hit me the hardest in the book of Romans was the simple phrase that said, show hospitality. Show hospitality. Now, some of you hear the phrase, show hospitality, and you think, I need to have my friends over. But the word hospitality in the New Testament is not have your friends over. It's love, of, it's a compound word, love of strangers. Love of people who are different from you. And so, if the church 
is to show hospitality, they're to eat and drink with people who are different from them. And that's the invitation that we have from Jesus. That's the instruction we have for the life of the church is that we are entering the lives of people who are different from us and loving them. Whether you're afraid or not, you have been loved lavishly by God. Can you in turn love because He's first loved you? I want to leave you with one more piece to this. And that's very simply that the nature of God Himself and the the nature, well, I should say the nature of Christ Himself as He came into this world was one unafraid to show grace, unafraid to speak truth. He came, it says, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son of the Father. Full of grace and truth. See, there there are two pieces here. And I don't want you to be afraid on either piece. See, there there are people who are our friends, who are high truth people. They're going to tell you the truth no matter what. They're going to shake the finger. They're going to tell you what trouble you're in with a little grace. And there are other people who are our friends who are so full of grace and are so loving that they're going to try and hide the truth so that they can love. But see, love doesn't demand you hide truth or grace. In fact, it demands you show both. Because ultimately, ultimately, real love, real love doesn't require agreement. See, cheap love is built on agreement. Real love involves acceptance. It doesn't have to involve endorsement, but it can involve acceptance. I can love people and hold the truth as it is. To show grace does not necessarily compromise truth. But to tell the truth cannot compromise grace. May God help you to be a person of grace and truth and not merely one or the other. Because Jesus came proclaiming the Kingdom of God, saying, repent. He came came telling people how they might relate to a holy God. And He came eating with tax collectors and sinners. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And He came loving your neighbor as yourself. Both things have to happen. Both things happened in the life of Jesus. And we must love 
We must signal that we intend to love. And we must repent of the fear that has so overwhelmed the church to love people who think and act differently than us. May God help us. May God help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank You that You have loved me and You have accepted me when I was a sinner. Not because I reformed myself, but because simply because You loved me. Father, I pray that You would grant grace to Your church to love because we have first been loved. Father, would You forgive our self-righteousness and would You enable us to be comfortable being uncomfortable? Would You help us to love our neighbors as ourselves? I ask it because I think that Jesus would do it if He were here. So I ask it in His name. Amen.